This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the five-star novel, What Can't Be Hidden, by Brandon Andrus. When a stranger is captured in the nearby forest of the isolated and restrictive community of Petrida, a dark, hidden secret is revealed. The Petridian people discover that there are others living on the island. While panic and fear consume the town, Thura clandestinely befriends the stranger who gives her hope for escaping the only life she's ever known and finding something she has never experienced before, freedom. What can't be hidden is right on time for this moment. It is a stunning and universal portrayal of a people awakening and coming to terms with the systems that have promised to give them peace and freedom while discovering that these virtues can only come from within. What Can't Be Hidden is available everywhere online. My name is Matthew J. DiStefano. I'm an author, a columnist for Pathios, a podcaster, social worker, a musician, and the best part of waking up, other than like a thousand things that I can think of, is listening to Keith over a second cup. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles. And in this episode, I want to talk about a topic that I know I've hinted at and alluded to um, over a few episodes here and there. Um, But I have not done an entire episode really just devoted to this topic. And I think it's one that's really fascinating and really important. Um, So we're going to jump into it. It's uh, The topic is spiral dynamics. And um, full disclosure, most of what I'm going to be sharing in this episode is uh, found in my book, Solideos. Uh, The subtitle is What If God Is All of Us? And if you haven't read that book, I really recommend it. It, um, well, it covers these kinds of topics. Uh, Deification of man, which I've covered in this episode, or in in this, uh, sorry, in this podcast, Uh, a few other topics, but um, like pantheism, panentheism, those sorts of things. Um, But yeah, it's... uh, if you're curious about these kinds of questions, uh, Solideos would be a great book to check out. Um, so let me just start off by saying, like, again, if you've been following this podcast for any length of time, you know that I have personally been really inspired and impacted by this. Um, well, it, it comes it comes from various sources, right? But it, this idea of sort of the uh, divine unity. Um, or the connection that we have with with the divine and therefore with everyone and everything else in the universe. The idea of the illusion of separation. So we find it in quantum science, and I've written about that in Solum, in Solum Mysterium and in Solideus. Um, but we also find it in the Gospel of Thomas, which, by the way, I also have a book uh, that I've written on that topic called The Quantum Sayings of Jesus. Uh, the subtitle is Decoding the Lost Gospel of Thomas. And that book will be out in, uh, I think, April of 2024. So, uh, but anyway, as I've been kind of going down this rabbit hole uh, of looking at and considering and thinking about the the reality of this concept or this idea of radical oneness with with God and with all things and with one another, um, this idea of spiral dynamics really for me anyway, was kind of a missing piece for a while um, that when I discovered it and realized, oh my gosh, it kind of makes sense of a lot of things. So yeah, full disclosure, most of what I'm going to share is 
taken from my book, Soledeo. So, um, but anyway, yeah, this idea that there is this sort of unifying force, right, that unites all living things, all consciousness in the universe, beginning with the great consciousness, um, which some of us might call God or Brahma or Atman or the great spirit, uh, or the unified field or the quantum wave. Some might even call it the kingdom of God. Um, but no matter what you call it, again, we're sort of all describing the same idea, the same concept that, that, um, that there, there is no separation between us and the source of life and truth and wisdom and love in the universe. And therefore there's no separation between any other uh, living thing that is also connected to that same consciousness. So I think this fundamental reality, um, it, it, it could be the key to unlocking this mystery of who we are um, and maybe who or what God is. Uh, but even if it's not, I think it may give us a new path to follow and new questions to ask as we navigate, you know, this sort of divine mystery. And as I was talking about with this with a friend of mine, um, she asked a question, was there a time, she was asking me, you know, did I think there was a time when all of humanity, we, that we once sort of knew all this? Like, did we, did we used to know this, but we, did we forget it? Did we lose it? Um, and, and then of course she asked, is it like what happened in the Garden of Eden? So I do like the question because I think it does help us stop and consider what you know, some of our myths and metaphors um, have to teach us when it comes to human awareness and comprehension and spiritual development. By the way, Spiral Dynamics is all about sort of mapping out this sort of spiritual development of humanity. So I would say that that, you know, this story of Adam and Eve in the garden is a metaphor. Um, I do not believe it actually happened. Uh, I don't think that was a literal Adam or a little, literal Eve or that, you know, you could locate the Garden of Eden on a map or something. But I do believe it's a story that, uh, that gives us a way of understanding how and why we sometimes struggle with what kind of seems to be a simple truth of oneness and connection with the divine and, and with one another. So in that story... In that myth, Adam and Eve, the first people, were created in an original innocence where they experienced absolute oneness with God and with each other. Eve, according to the story, was pulled out of Adam, suggesting that the two of them once were both one, and then they were separated from one another into two uh, distinct, separate beings. And then, of course, the ultimate separation uh, continues when uh, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is a metaphor for duality, right? Good and evil, right and wrong. Um, you and me. Um, and so darkness and light, all those things. So once they eat from that tree, which is all about duality, they experience another form of separation, which is called a spiritual death. And um, that's where this whole us and them mentality really originates. And this is what shatters their ability or, and then maybe it's a way of saying it's what shatters our ability when we are coming from that mindset, uh, to see and experience our original oneness with God and our original oneness 
with one another. So I do think it's a kind of a great metaphor for our own personal experience as human beings. We're born with this sort of original awareness of our oneness with God and humanity, I believe. Um, but at some point early on in our development, we begin to observe how the world around us operates on this system of good and evil, right and wrong, um, darkness and light, us and them. Um, and the illusion of separation sort of seeps into our consciousness, and maybe I should even say our unconsciousness. And we're suddenly cast out from this garden where we lose the, the original awareness of connection with all things. In other words, we become, we experience this ultimate separation from God and with one another. And so I think this is one of the reasons why Jesus urges us to become like little children again. He even says in Matthew 18, 3, until we change and become like little children, that we cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, again, would be um, the, the place, the original, going back to that sort of original connection, well, where there is no separation between us and God. So I do think this story is helpful as a metaphor for how all humanity kind of starts out, I believe, knowing the truth, and then slowly falls under the illusion or the delusion of separation. And that leads to death, meaning there's no life in that way of thinking. So I think Jesus wants to lead us into a more abundant life where our eyes are opened, where we can truly experience the reality of our oneness with God and with one another. Um, and so I think one of the best tools for expressing this process of awakening for the human consciousness uh, is what's called spirodynamics. Uh, it was uh, originated by authors uh, Don Edward Beck and Christopher Cowan. Uh, they introduced this theory into the business world. Uh, they had a book called Spiral Dynamics, and it was a helpful tool for classifying organizational leadership approaches, which sounds really boring. Um, but the original concept they took uh, from a psychologist who de really developed the idea, Claire Graves, um, and they took basically the hierarchy of needs perspective. You can look that up. There's something called the hierarchy of needs. If you don't know what that is. Um, but Claire Graves took the hierarchy of needs perspective or theory and imagine deeper levels that went beyond mere sort of self-actualization and identified these layers of development we now know as spiral dynamics. As they put it, quote, I am proposing that the psychology of the mature human being is an unfolding, emergent, oscillating, spiraling process marked by progressive subordination of older, lower order behavior systems to newer higher order systems as man's existential problems emerge. So others have taken these ideas and found them to be exceptionally helpful uh, in sort of understanding or unlocking the uh, sort of progressive uh, evolution of human consciousness in general. So there's a guy named Ken Wilber. He wrote a really great book called in Integral Spirituality. And he kind of further developed this idea of spiral dynamics really into the spiritual realm, into the spiritual you know world. And so let's talk about this. So what is it? That's kind of your background on spiral dynamics, but well, what is it? So um, basically there are eight stages of human consciousness um, that have been uh, mapped out and they're color coded. I'm going to just kind of read them off to you. So stage one, the lowest level, the most basic level would be beige. Level two is purple, then red, blue, 
then orange, green, and then uh, sort of at the top would be yellow and turquoise. And each of these stages has its own set of dress codes because, again, this is not, this is about human consciousness and it's really uh, works on many levels. So it's working on the level of human consciousness, sort of going back historically and looking at just the development of human culture, um, human civilization. But then you can also then take that and look at it from an individual perspective. You can say that individual humans. Uh, will also go through the exact same stages, okay? Um, so anyway, so each of these stages that I just read out to you um, kind of have their own set of dress codes, communication trends, what they would call cultural norms, religious ideologies, political structures, um, art forms, economic models, their own philosophy, and morality codes. So it gets really de deep and layered um, but for the purposes of this podcast, um, we just want to look at these higher level ways of thinking and believing that are expressed in each of these stages. Okay. So let's just, I'm going to start with, uh, stage one and that's beige. And I call this the me stage and, and these, so the colors, you know, this is coming from, uh, Sproul dynamics as a theory, but I, I, I'm adding this classification. Um, for example, I'm calling beige. I would, I would call it the me stage. It's extremely selfish. This is the simplest sort of what's called the survival stage. In other words, if you're operating at this stage, the, the beige level one, the me stage, it's basically your whole mindset is this is I'm just going to do whatever it takes to survive. Uh, my main focus is our food and water and shelter and procreation. And those things are prioritized over everything else. And um, the person, the individual or the culture, the society um, sort of centered around beige uh, as a as a level of spout dynamics has almost no developed sense of self. In other words, there's not a lot of self reflection going on. It's really just more about uh, every day you wake up and you you know you've got to make sure I got food to eat, shelter, water, and I can get to the next place I'm going to, and all that. It's just about staying alive, and it's really the most basic, primitive sort of hunter gatherer stage of human consciousness you can imagine. And again, we would go back to the earliest forms of human civilization and say that was really the mindset. That was the basic level uh, that human beings have operated on as long as there have been human beings. But then there's a, there's a second stage, right? That would be purple, what I call the we stage. And at this stage, as survival becomes less challenging, maybe you've solved those problems um, of food and shelter and you know, water and things like that. People start to move now into a, the stage where they begin to develop a sense, really for the first time, a sense of personhood. Um, so you begin to realize that you're part of a tribe and that you personally have an important uh, role and identity within that tribe. So in other words, your identity is based on your, your usefulness to the tribe, your, the role that you play within that tribe. Um, and this is where we start to develop our first sense of community. It's also where we begin to start wondering about why things happen. For example, why do people get sick and die? Why are the crops being devoured by the locusts? Uh, and the answers to these questions are typically rooted in primitive assumptions about deities who are either angry at us or upset at us. Um, there are gods or spiritual forces that we need to appease, sort of to solve these problems that seem bigger than us outside of our control. The weather, Earthquakes, famine, 
you know, sickness, disease, things like that. And this is where our most basic religious beliefs begin to form. So really, religious beliefs kind of at the most basic sense begin to form at stage two. Um, and art at this stage usually reflects this tribal identity and this sort of mysterious connection to the spiritual realm. Stage three is the red stage. I call it the us stage. And this is the egocentric stage where people begin to break away from the simplicity of the tribal identity and start to assert a much stronger us versus them mentality where anyone who agrees with us is seen as family and anyone who is not seen as us is evil and worthy of death. This is where ideas like slavery and genocide and war really begin to emerge. In this stage, no one really takes responsibility for their actions. They tend to blame those other people for the violence uh, and cruelty that they may inflict on them as if they had no other choice. Uh, and so taking responsibility would be seen as a weakness at this stage. That's something no one at this stage would even ever want to do or even really consider doing. And this is where empires really begin to form and flourish. So you can see now human civilizations are developing and growing to a much larger, uh, powerful level. And at this stage, this is where rigid hierarchies develop. Classes of people are created, the rich, the middle class, the poor, um, and things like that. So your status is determined in the culture by your you know, birth, for one thing, or what kind of family you're born into, um, how wealthy you are, how much political influence you have, or how much you know your, your ancestors had, uh, or maybe your talent, your ability, you know, the role that you play um, within that society. So um, stage four is the blue stage. I call this the religious stage. Whereas again, we had some primitive sort of deity um, concepts at, at the purple stage. In the blue stage, this is really where, this is really kind of what marks this stage, the blue stage. Um, so at the blue stage, the extreme de dehumanization practices that emerged during the previous stage, the red stage, um, have led eventually to this need for a sense of shared humanity. And quite intentionally, rulers of the empires, which emerged in the red stage, recognize a need to introduce and promote religion in order to balance the violent chaos that threatens to undermine this, the stability of this society. So in Judeo-Christian history, uh, a belief in an all-knowing benevolent deity helps to pull humanity out of the seemingly endless pursuit of violence and war. This, uh, this leads us to the blue stage. And at the blue stage, um, you know, it's more purposeful and authoritarian. At this stage, people are controlled by religious dogma that establishes the will of God or the gods, plural. Um, this is where right and wrong are defined according to religious texts and commands and rules of conduct everyone is expected to follow. This is where we kind of get a sacral society where the, the society is built around shared religious uh, beliefs. Uh, let's see. So failure to obey God's authority at this stage is usually followed by torture or death. And of course, the promise of an eternal spiritual torture or death in the afterlife as well. And this stage is also where some of the world's greatest atrocities have emerged. Um, because while people have moved into the blue stage, they still maintain strong us versus them tendencies that are carried over from the red stage. It's really just kind of ramped up a little bit. The positive consequence of this stage in the blue stage, however, is the emergence of the concept of morality. The negative consequence was religious persecution, martyrdom, and public execution. 
um, which was mainly driven by an inability to consider perspectives and beliefs other than your own. Uh, this is a system based on the concept of absolute truth, and it's something that took us a long time to escape. Some of us even today are still kind of living in that sort of blue stage of consciousness, uh, and it's very difficult to find our way out from under this mindset. I mean, for example, people today that are wanting uh, America to become a theocracy, uh, they are that's where they're operating at. Their, their mindset, their consciousness is stuck in the blue stage. So the next stage from that um, is the orange stage, and we kind of call this the prosperity stage. This is the stage where uh, it's largely characterized by in the modern world. So people who once thrived at the blue stage eventually begin to have their doubts about the um, you know the dogmatic way dogmatic way of thinking and behaving. They begin to notice um, some of the the downsides of a blue stage, and um, at the orange stage, people are really concerned more about being free. The ideas of freedom, the ideas of democracy, um, the ideas of being successful and prosperous. So yes, at the at the orange stage, this is where democracy emerges, free markets, um, capitalism, science, rationality, they emerge at the orange stage. And this way of thinking tends to inspire a turn away from religion to a more sort of atheistic or scientific mindset. You might think of the Age of Enlightenment um, or something like that. The, uh, the next stage up from that is the green stage. I call this the justice stage. And at the green stage, um, so we, you know, the focus on personal success and prosperity in the orange stage, the previous stage, it eventually leads us to become more aware of how our success, like our personal success, creates suffering for other people. And, and this is where many social justice movements begin to appear. People come together to start sharing their resources, to work together to sort of lift up people at lower economic levels, social levels. Um, they start to work together to solve some uh, environmental in in inequities. They are looking to improve the quality of life for people around them who don't have the same level of power or influence or ability um, that, the, that those in power do have. So this stage is marked by an extreme distrust for authority and a strong dislike for hierarchy. And I think we could probably call the green stage kind of like we could look at like the sort of the Jesus movement, the hippie movement um, in the 60s, right? That's where we kind of would see that mindset beginning to emerge uh, in human consciousness, just to put it in sort of an American context. Um, so there's only two two levels left. So where do we go from the green stage? Well, the next stage after green is yellow. And this is the collaboration stage. And at this stage, is people begin to notice the interconnectedness of everything. Uh, they recognize that Earth is just one planet inhabited by one human race, and that we all have to learn to collaborate together if we're going to survive and thrive. And so, you know, all of our many diverse cultures and systems and religions and economies and perspectives um, at this stage, you recognize that all of those differences have to be embraced and integrated. And, and there needs to be sort of a, we need to loosen our grip on an us-them mentality, right-wrong mentality, and say that, you know, everybody can have their own unique perspective, and that's okay. What's in, well, The goal isn't being right or wrong. The goal is um, 
sort of a shared humanity, a shared flourishing of humankind. And so this is what they call tier two. Everything prior to this was tier one. Um, once we reach the yellow stage, the collaboration stage, this is tier two. So in other words, human consciousness at this stage has really kind of just made an exponential leap into this awareness that everyone in all of the previous stages, um, you know, and whereas in the previous stages, the, the, whatever consciousness you were in, you know, beige, red, blue, uh, orange, green, um, the goal was sort of to impose your, your worldview on everybody else. In other words, the culture was looking for homogeny. Um, but in tier two, people start to realize they reach a level of consciousness to begin to realize that no one has the absolute correct perspective. And at that stage, we start to step back and evaluate each of the previous stages. We can, in other words, step back and we can, we can notice, oh my gosh, there is a beige, there is a red, there is a blue, there is an orange, there is a green, right? And we can, we can take a step back, um, from those things and look at them and see them for what they are and even understand them. Like we can say, okay, the beige, the, the first stage, the beige step one, right? The spiral level one. Um, whereas we might reject that today. Like I would never live that way today, but you can understand how people, you know, it was good for people at, you know, it's at a certain point in human history. Um, it was all about individual survival. So of course th that's why they thought that way. Or in the orange stage, you can say, well, of course they were moving away from that blue way of thinking. They had to move into this orange way of thinking, this prosperity way of thinking. And it makes sense, right? But without saying it was right or wrong, you can say, you can, you can appreciate it for what it was. And you can see that it did, the human consciousness did make a, a, a progression that we did move from sort of, you know, blue to orange. And we did move from, we can see how we moved from orange to green. Um, and we can say, these are good things. We can see this progression. We understand how we got from one to the other without judging people who are maybe even still in those stages of human development. And so at this stage, at the yellow stage, we begin to become aware of who we are as human beings. In other words, we understand like this is just what it means to be human. Um, and you can even, again, I said, you know, on one level, we can talk about these, these stages of spiral dynamics as um, stages of human history, right? We can say, okay, this, this, this was maybe the Bronze Age and this was the Stone Age. This was the Renaissance and this was the 60s movement and this was whatever, right? The, the, the hippies, whatever. Uh, okay, great. Um, but we can also then, we can also individually say, hey, you know, when I was a young boy, when I was a little kid, like the terrible twos, uh, I was, I was at the beige stage myself, right? Um, and then when I became, you know, I'm in junior high, I start realizing my identity is sort of my, 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 my friends, people around me, you know, uh, that's where my identity comes from. And then maybe in high school or college, um, it, it broadens a little bit, right? And then maybe I get married and, uh, and, and I grow up and then it becomes, I get a job and then, it, then I reach another level. Maybe I'm, maybe now suddenly I'm in the orange prosperity stage of thinking. And so we all, uh, when you get, at least when you get to the yellow stage, you're a little more, um, self-aware and you're aware that humanity, um, cannot help but go through these stages. We've done it as individuals and we've done it as collectively as a human species. And so at the yellow stage, 
uh, we're kind of understanding what makes ourselves tick, right? We're beginning to comprehend human nature without kind of like reflecting or reacting to it um, with hostility. Uh, and so people at the yellow level, the spiral level, um, they often will work to help educate other people around them because their goal is to kind of transform um, people within those systems or even those systems themselves and, and to help people within those systems who are trapped in those ways of thinking uh, to help them just move them along to kind of the next layer. So like if you encountered somebody and you recognize they were operating at sort of the blue stage of consciousness, you might try to figure out what are some ways I can move them into the orange stage, sort of the orange level of consciousness. Or maybe if there's someone in the orange level, what, what would it take to help them move into the sort of the green level of consciousness and things like that, right? Um, the um, I, I hate to call it the final stage, but it's the final stage, at least in most discussions of spiral dynamics. And this is the turquoise stage. And and, uh, and I call this the Christ consciousness stage. Um, this is the stage where those in the yellow stage recognize that while the problems in our world are caused by the conflicts between those previous stages of human consciousness, that the solution to those conflicting worldviews isn't possible without raising the collective consciousness of everyone. And this is where we find mystics, gurus, sages, spiritual shamans in our in human history. And, and they're sort of peppered throughout human history, right? We know their names. We can, we can point to them, right? We know that those kinds of people have popped up, even at the blue or the orange or the green or the yellow stages of human consciousness throughout human history, no matter what sort of stage of consciousness sort of the shared humanity has operated at, within those systems, there have been individuals who have been able to transcend that stage and they've moved into the yellow stage or the turquoise stage of consciousness or this Christ consciousness way of thinking. And so these people, they almost never hold any sort of political offices. Um, they don't run multi-million dollar organizations. Um, they don't seek to transform the world. Uh, with sort of like having taken power over other people. They do so more from a more of a humble sort of power under stage, sort of a, a wisdom stage, uh, a model that sort of awakens individual people one at a time. And so at this stage, the wholeness of the mind and the body and the spirit are essential. Again, it's a, it's a, a unity, a wholeness of the, within the person that then kind of is reflected outward into a wholeness and a unity and a oneness within the way that person lives and hopefully people surrounding that person lives. So an awareness of the oneness of all things and the rejection of duality and separation between people and nature and the universe and consciousness is essential at this turquoise stage. People at this level, they don't have any fears about the future because they trust that everything is going to work out uh, in the end, because there is an underlying, overarching, sort of, again, consciousness. Again, call it God, or the Christ consciousness, or the source, or the quantum field, or whatever you want to call it. But they believe that 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 all humanity is being pulled into, inevitably into, this direction. And um, so... I mean, for example, Julian of Norwich, uh, she says, all is well, 
and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. So things like rest and trust and peace and inner harmony really mark the person who is operating at this stage. Uh, People at this turquoise stage, they allow the divine force to flow through them. They experience a genuine connection with everyone, everywhere, all the time. They feel a sincere love for all humanity, regardless of whether that person loves them or agrees with them. And they can understand that their life is the same life that permeates all life. They see God in everyone, and they refuse to harm or exploit anyone because they have this awareness. And so at this at this sort of what we would call the highest stage of human development, and we'll talk about that in a second, um, the highest stage of humanity has reached to this point, that, that sort of Christ consciousness stage. Um, I mean, collectively, you know, maybe humanity has maybe reached the green or the or what we call the justice stage, I would say. I don't see a lot of cultures forming around the yellow stage. Uh, maybe. You could argue maybe that there are some European nations that are moving into sort of the yellow or the collaboration stage of consciousness. But almost no, I mean, I'll just say it right now. There is no such thing as a, a culture or a society filled with people who are all operating at the turquoise, sort of the Christ consciousness stage. Now, they're individuals, yes, right? Jesus and Buddha and Gandhi and Rumi and Khalil Gibran and, you know, the Dalai Lama. And, you know, you could point to handfuls of individuals throughout history who you could say, okay, I think that person is operating at the turquoise stage. But we have not organized ourselves around like as a human, as a human species, we as a, we, in other words, that we haven't reached a tipping point where there's enough of us. So it's so common that so many people are operating at that turquoise level that we could say humanity reaches the turquoise level. So one of the reasons why I think spiral dynamics is so helpful is that again, as individuals, I think we do kind of begin at a at a state of kind of pure reality where we have no concept of separation or division between us and God or anything else. I think it's as we grow and mature physically and cognitively that we begin to take on the shape of the world that surrounds us. I mean, early on we find ourselves in this world where again, everything is about me. Our first words are no and mine, right? So we, we are born into sort of um, um, maybe as infants, we're at the, the idea where we, you know, because we're open to all this stuff, right? But but I think very quickly we move into the the beige stage um, of me or of mine, and and you know, and that again we call the terrible twos. But eventually we'll move into a purple stage of personhood. We start to develop an awareness of who we are in the world. We develop our identity around our first community of family. Then we might move into the red stage around the time we enter school. We have sort of an expanded sense of community around our classmates or teachers and our daily routines. And then we might start going to church. Then we, this would be the blue stage. We develop a sense of God and religion, our new religious ideology. That begins to shape us. And then we graduate from high school or college. We enter the workforce. We discover maybe the orange stage where our financial success defines our identity and our actions and our consciousness. If we're lucky, we maybe start to develop a sense of compassion for people who aren't as lucky as we are, who aren't as, as you know um, fortunate as we are, people on the margins of our society. And then we enter the sort of the green stage. We start to donate to charities, volunteer at soup kitchens. 
We march for equality and for justice for other people. Um, maybe one of some of us might make it into this yellow stage. We begin to step back and realize that everyone and everything is connected to everyone else. Um, maybe we can see ourselves in the universe as one and God and the universe as one. Um, and maybe that's where you find yourself today. And I, and I hope so. That's where I, I would, I would hope to say I'm at that I'm, that I'm, I mean, to be very honest that I'm at least in the yellow stage and I'm hopefully moving into the turquoise stage. Um, I think we can fluctuate. In other words, I don't think anybody is always any of these stages. Um, I think we can sort of fluctuate on any given day and any given situation. We can find ourselves trapped in a blue way of thinking or an orange way of thinking or a green way of thinking or maybe a yellow or even a turquoise way of thinking and being. Um, but it's not, it's not like you can throw a switch and I'm only in this way of thinking and I'm never going to slip down into one of the lower stages. I, I think it's human nature that we will. Um, and the best we can hope for is to spend more and more time in hopefully those tier two levels that it becomes more natural for us. That becomes more, um, it becomes something that we're less likely to feel comfortable operating at more of those selfish stages um, of like, you know, blue and orange and things like that. So uh, in the book, I talk about how we can map this out, right? And, uh, and in the book, I talk about like the blue, the beige stage, the beginning stage is like maybe 50 to 40,000 years ago. Um, the purple stage is like maybe 40,000 years ago. The red stage maybe is the bronze or the iron age, about 33,000 to um, 33,000, um, sorry, 33,300 BC or 550 BC uh, when civilizations started to form, moved into that red stage. Um, blue, the blue stage would be kind of like at the stage where, um, you know, Judaism and Christianity in the Middle Ages, things like this. So um, that's that's another wide gap, right? The formation of Judaism, the formation of Christianity, uh, the formation of Islam, um, moving into the Middle Ages and things like that. Um, orange would be, uh, you know, the Industrial Age, um, sort of things like that. Green would be, again, the hippie movement in the 60s. Uh, yellow, we might call that the New Age movement in the West where people begin to call themselves more spiritual, but they're not religious. Maybe they start developing some Eastern practices like yoga and meditation, things like that. Um, and again, turquoise is sort of like the Christ consciousness stage where I don't think anyone uh, ever really gets to stay in that stage very long, even if we do manage to get there once in a while. But very few people are even interested in that kind of a stage. So all of that to say... Um, I think it's super helpful because, again, it, it allows us, it gives me hope. It gives me hope for a human race. Because once you map it out like that, once you recognize, wow, these really are stages of human consciousness, the development of human consciousness. We really have, as a, as a species, we really have grown and developed um, along this path. Like, it's not just a theory. It's, it's dem demonstrable. It's provable. Um, and we can see it in the development of human consciousness over thousands of years, over the last few hundred years, even in the last few decades. Um, and hopefully we begin to see that 
we as individuals have progressed along these stages of, of development as well in our human consciousness. And it gives me hope because it makes me realize that I, I kind of do feel like that humanity is sort of being kind of drawn uh, in this direction of the Christ consciousness. Um, I think that the ultimate consciousness, again, you want to call that God or Christ or the source or whatever, um, I think that is where all humanity is being drawn towards. We are being drawn towards a realization of our shared divinity, our shared humanity. Uh, and as I've said before, I think this is really essential for the survival of, of, of the species, of the human species. In other words, the only way we're ever going to move beyond these very childish ways of thinking and behaving, in other words, moving away from sort of um, well, the ideas of war, for example, moving away from genocide, moving away from greed, moving away from you know, sort of predatory lending and capitalism run amok and things like this, um, tribal political tribalism, things like that. Um, all of those things. I mean, those are that's all about those lower ways, those lower consciousness uh, ways of thinking and being. They're all rooted in this us them mentality, and the more we as a human species begin to move, and I begin, I, I believe it's inevitable. Again, we can step back and see. You know, look look at the progress we've made. We're at least operating, at least some of us, uh, as as a as a culture. You know, in this level of uh, let's say, if not green, then maybe yellow stages uh, of human consciousness, and that's progress. That's great. I mean, it's really great. Again, it's sad because uh, in America at the moment, people want to move us backwards. They're trying to drag everybody back into this sort of blue stage. Um. I hope we can avoid that. I think the the important thing would be for us to not do that and to try to advance human consciousness away from that into, um, you know, orange and yellow and turquoise, things like that. So it gives me hope for the future. It makes me think, you know what? This really is um, the direction I think we need to go. Uh, in, in Ken Wilber's book, Integral Spirituality, he does talk about the fact that he believes that religion in America and specifically Christianity in America needs to evolve and change in order to help people continually develop spiritually. In fact, he suggests that it's the inability for Christianity specifically to, ad to adapt to these ideas of ascending spirituality. He says it's what prevents so many of us from maturing beyond those lower tiers. So religion kind of gets in the way. It, 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 it as it stands now, uh, I would say uh, evangelical Christianity in America has become a hindrance to human spiritual development in our in 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 sort of the the health of the human the human species, and so our religious systems either must evolve to help us move away as humanity away from those primitive ways of seeing the world, and I think it's what's happening with deconstruction as more and more people drop out of that way of thinking and walk away from that and leave their narrow-minded religious systems behind, um, now they're more open to sort of a yellow level of consciousness or, or a turquoise level of consciousness. And then they can, hopefully, uh, we can then begin to evolve spiritually 
as individuals and then hopefully as a species um, to embrace our connectedness as our shared humanity, to embrace our shared divinity, um, to recognize that we're not separate from one another, that we are brothers, we are sisters, right? Again, these ideas are embedded in Christianity. I've said this many, many times. These are not, these are not, you know, ideas foreign to Christianity. Um, you know, when Jesus says in the Gospel of John, in that day you will realize that I am in you and you are in me. Or, uh, I am in you and, and I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Um, that's, that's an idea of radical oneness. When Paul says in the book of Acts that God is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. And he says this to pagans. So it's not just Christians. It's everyone, every human being. We all exist. Um, you know, we all live and move and have our being in, in God. And as I say in the book Solideus, if God, uh, if, if God is the one in whom we all live and move and have our being, perhaps I am the one and we are the ones in which God lives and moves and has God's being. I would say that is, that is the case, or at least sure makes sense to me. And so, you know, we, it's what gives me hope, right? I would say it's a, it's a message of hope that uh, deconstruction, I think, is an, an important thing. I think it's something that is moving us, at least within our religious systems, from a blue stage into um, hopefully a green or a yellow stage of spirituality, and then maybe hopefully even into a turquoise level, a turquoise stage of, of uh, human consciousness as well. And I think it's very important then for us to, to go through our deconstruction process and to recognize as we come through the deconstruction process that um, all of those things we've gone through have helped to shape who we are today. That's again, that's what happens at the yellow stage when you can step back and see everything for what it really is and appreciate that even though it sucked and even though it's toxic, there were good things about some of those stages and there were things that were normal and natural about those stages that of course, that's the best you could do at that stage because you couldn't imagine anything else. See, this is the other thing about spiral dynamics I find really fascinating too. It's when you look at these stages, right? And you realize that if someone is living at sort of a blue level of consciousness, uh, as I've just described, understand that somebody operating at that blue level of consciousness cannot even imagine a yellow stage of consciousness. They could not even possibly imagine a turquoise level of consciousness. That's, I mean, it's impossible. It's almost like somebody, you know, so, someone who's existing at sort of a two-dimensional level being able to understand what three dimensions are and, and what life in a, in, in, in a third dimension would even look like, right? You, there's just no grid. There's no space to, to comprehend these kinds of ideas. It's just so far beyond you. And so, um, that's why I find spiral dynamics so fascinating and I think very, very helpful um, because then you can kind of forgive yourself for the ways you acted when you were in these other stages of your thinking because no one was showing you anything else, right? You couldn't even imagine anything else. Your, your level of consciousness, your, your awareness was limited by whatever consciousness you were operating in at that moment, at that time. And there have to be things that sort of you know, propel us or that, that push us, um, things that make us uncomfortable, things that are painful, 
Um, without that sort of uncomfortability, without that pain factor, I mean, without that, nothing's going to push you and prod you out of that consciousness till you even begin to think about looking for another level of consciousness. Does that make sense? Um, and so, yeah, it gives me hope because it makes me realize, well, a few individuals here and there have made it to the turquoise level. And so it's possible to operate at that level. Also, though, we need to understand that um, if the culture, the society, the, the human consciousness sort of surrounding you is largely blue or red or orange or even green, um, they're going to tend to hate and reject you at the, at the yellow level or the turquoise level. And we've seen that as well, too, historically, right? Um, Socrates was put to death. Jesus was put to death. Gandhi was killed. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Like, um, in other words, the, the, um, the cultural mindset, the level of human consciousness reacts in a very negative way towards individuals that don't fit that don't make sense within that level of consciousness. We see them as dangerous. We see them as subversive because they are like if they had their way, they would completely demolish and tear down and destroy that entire way of thinking and lead us into another level of consciousness. And many of us aren't ready for that. Right. If you've ever seen the movie, the matrix, they talk about how uh, I think Morpheus says to Neo that there are people trapped in the matrix and they will kill you right? Um, to protect it. They don't want to be awakened. They don't want to see the truth. They don't want to see what's really true because the illusion is so comfortable for them. Um, and they are, there's absolute terror involved with being forced to, to move into or to see or to accept ideas that uh, sort of go against whatever level of consciousness you know you currently are operating in. And so um, it's good to recognize that. I think these are all just important things to keep in mind. So, um, you know, I talked in the previous, I think it was the previous episode, I talked about, um, or no, I'm sorry, two episodes ago, I talked about sort of uh, the new, right, about um, my epiphany and recognizing, you know, that the important thing was not to fight the old, but to build the new. And And I'm still at that point. I'm still at this place of trying to figure out uh, what that looks like for me on a practical level on a daily basis. Um, but to me personally, this is part of my journey into moving into this sort of turquoise level of thinking uh, of being. And it means making some very radical personal changes to my life so that I can really fully, um, sort of shed myself of those old ways of thinking. And I got to say, I, I shared this with some friends of mine the other day. Um, I realize I'm addicted. I am addicted to fighting the old. Uh, it's what I have known most of my life. It's certainly what I've known over the, I'd say the last 20 years. Um, it's certainly been the, the driving force and factor uh, and, the, and the sort of raison d'etre uh, that I've operated on uh, when it comes to my blogs and my books and my podcasts. 
it's been all about fighting the old, right? And so I can now take a step back. I can recognize that. I can see, oh my gosh, that's what I've been doing. And and of course I did. It made sense, right? Well, what else am I going to do? I was in this old way of thinking. I realized that way of thinking was wrong, or at least wasn't good, wasn't helpful, was toxic. So I did everything I could to sort of expose the toxicity of that and to fight that. And I've done debates, right? I've done lots of debates. I've done, uh, I've written blog series and blog posts. I've interviewed people. I've done podcasts. I've written books, you know, the seven part Jesus on series. I mean, um, again, I think all that stuff was, was necessary. And I think it, it's still helpful. I think it is still helping people to, you know, move forward in their progression away from one level of consciousness into a higher level of consciousness. So I, again, I'm not, I'm not apologizing for that and I'm not embarrassed by that or ashamed of that at all. I think that's necessary and important. And I'm actually really proud of all that work that I've done in that direction. But it's, but I'm just at a place right now where I'm realizing that that is mainly what I focused on most of my life. And what I'm realizing is that for this sort of, for the next, however much time I've got left on this planet, um, I would like to find some ways to not do that or to stop doing that. And it's hard. Like I said, I'm addicted to it. I realize it's just, it's automatic for me because what it would mean for me personally is that I would, I would hear somebody say something on a podcast that I disagree with. And my, and my first reaction, you know, would be to write a blog post about it or to correct that. That's wrong. Let me tell you how that's wrong. Um, or let me do a podcast on that, right? Let me point out how wrong that is. Um, or to mock that or, or make fun of that or whatever. Um, and so what it would mean is that for me to move away from that, it means I'm going to have to not respond that way. When someone says something I don't agree with, I'm going to have to say, okay, and just let it slide. If someone challenged me to a debate, Keith, I would not debate you on this topic. I would have to say, no, that's okay. No, because, uh, because again, I recognize that's fighting the old. I've done that. And I don't really want to spend my, most of my time and energy doing that anymore. And that's going to, I'm going to say it's really hard to do. In fact, I'll be very, very transparent. Um, I reached out just a couple of days ago to a, to a specific person, um, to ask them, could we do a debate about, you know, eternal conscious torment versus universal reconciliation from the perspective of, you know, the scripture, just using the Bible um, to say, does the Bible teach eternal conscious torment or does it teach universal reconciliation? And let's using only scripture, not history, not quoting church fathers, not emotion, not logic or any of this, just the scriptures. What do the scriptures say? Uh, does it teach eternal conscious torment or does it teach universal reconciliation? And I'll be honest, if, if that person came back to me and said, let's do it, I would probably do it. <laughs> I can't, I, I mean, I don't think I could say no to that because it's something I want to do for a long, long time. But you see what I'm saying though, is that I, I've got, at some point, I do have to reach a point where I would say no. I would say, no, I won't do that. And I think part of the reason why I'm not saying no to everything, at least in that direction of fighting the old yet, although I want, I want to do more of saying no to it. But the reason why is that I still am trying to figure out what it looks like to, to build the new. Because that's the other side of that quote from Socrates, right? The secret of change 
is um, to focus all your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. And so I want to focus my energy on building the new, but I don't know what that looks like. I, I don't think I've done that very often. I've not done that in an in a in an intentional way, right? But I know I can do it. I know it just it's going to take some time. It's going to take me sitting down, um, doing some brainstorming, doing some soul searching, kind of getting creative, figuring out okay, what is it I want to build? What is the new that I'm talking about? What is this the new thing that I want to create that I want to help create and help build? Because I'm not going to do it myself, right? It's not something I have to do, but I want to contribute to it, right? So what what is it? What is that? And and then what is my contribution? What is it that I can do? And what are the what are the creative ways I can do that, right? Because now I am I am a published author. I do host three podcasts. Um, I am invited to come and speak quite often, different places, churches, events, conferences, things like that. Okay, um, how can I leverage my voice, my platform, to do things that build the new? And I'll be quite honest, I'm not entirely sure yet what that is. But I'm so excited about moving in that direction. In fact, I really hope that next year, 2024, as I'm sitting here recording this, which is only a few days from now, um, that, that in 2024, I can really really make some strides in that direction. And I, and I do recognize that to do that, I'm going to have to change some things and say no to some things, which are going to be really hard to do. But I kind of feel like if I don't, I need to say no to some things. And until I do say no to some of those things, uh, I'm sort of saying no to fighting the old. When I stop putting energy into fighting the old, um, I think that's going to then kind of create a vacuum where I'm I'm going to realize it's not until I do that that I will start to see um, the best ways to build the new. Does that make sense? Um, in other words, I feel like I won't truly understand exactly um, how to best build the new until I really stop putting time and energy into fighting the old, which is hard to do for me anyway. But um, I, I hope this episode was helpful for you. Um, again, if you're really curious about this, I recommend the book, Solideos, um, that I wrote. Uh, subtitle is What If God Is All Of Us. That's available on Amazon. And it's on, I think I think the Audible is available as well. Uh, as well. So there's a, a print version, a Kindle version, an Audible version available. Um, check that out. And by the way, if you like this podcast, you will love the book, Second Cup with Keith. Yes, there is a book dedicated to the podcast and it's also available on Amazon. It's doing really well. In fact, just today I noticed it was like at number 38 or something. So it's in the top 50 on Amazon. It's been doing really strong. Thank you everybody that went out and bought the book and that read the book. And by the way, if you read the book and you enjoyed it, if you would please rate and review the book on Amazon, it would be so helpful at this point. I only have like 10 ratings and reviews. They're all five stars. That's great, but I just need a, a bunch more. Um, so that would be really helpful. And, and, you know, recommend it to some friends. I bet they can make a great holiday gift uh, to somebody. It answers a lot of questions that people, you know, very common questions people have about uh, Christianity, uh, the Christian faith, deconstruction, reconstruction, things like that. So, again, I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Second Cup with Keith. 
Thank you for supporting the podcast. Everybody on, on Patreon who supports me on Patreon. Um, thank you so much. You can go over there, by the way, patreon.com slash Keith Giles and uh, be, become a supporter of, of myself and all the writings that I do. I do a special newsletter there. I do um, every Friday I publish uh, one of the sayings of Thomas and provide a little reflection on that. And um, yeah, and, and lots of other things too, sort of behind the scenes, what's happening, what my next books and projects and things are going to be. Uh, you can check that out over there. And of course, I blog on patheos at keithchiles.com. So I hope to see you somewhere down the road at one of those levels. Uh, again, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review. Let me know. And if there's a topic you'd like to hear me talk about in an upcoming episode of Second Cup with Keith, uh, please let me know. I'm always open to hearing uh, and talking about the things that, that you want to talk about. All right. So thanks for listening. God bless. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, and we'll see you uh, on the other side. Take care.